0: Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit Salem salemheightschurch.org. If you're a guest with us, I want to welcome you to our church, and just invite you to grab your Bibles and join me in the New Testament book of Hebrews. We are getting close to the conclusion of this study through the book of Hebrews, and we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12 this morning, and I'm excited to be able to deliver God's word. He's uh, given me something that I'm excited to share, and I feel like uh, there's going to be a number of different points made this morning that can minister to a number of different needs in the room. I'm trusting God with that. I do need to start though this morning with a confession. Growing up, I didn't like vegetables. <laughs> There's many reasons why this could be. Uh, according to one article I found though, there, there are scientific reasons behind it. Scientists have said that there are 10 possible reasons why kids don't like vegetables. One, taste bud development. Two, it depends on what their mother ate when they were preg- she was pregnant with them. Genetics, the taste of vegetables, the texture of vegetables, the fact that some vegetables are difficult to bite or chew. Sometimes the lack of familiarity with vegetables causes us to think that they're weird. And sometimes it's just downright stubbornness. But there's one more reason scientists have said that kids typically don't love vegetables. And this is the most likely reason that I did not like them growing up, is that fast food tastes better. (laughs) Scientists have said that fast food memories, the memories we make when we enjoy fast food are actually more fun. The author said this, kids are fast learners. It doesn't take them long to associate fast food with special occasions like special treats and rewards. No parent, now again, this is the article, not me saying this, no parent ever said to their kid, let's go buy a bag of carrots to celebrate. (laughs) Science says this is why kids hate vegetables. Why do I start this morning's message with a confession about vegetables? Well, our text this morning out of Hebrews chapter 12 is going to focus on the importance of endurance. And I don't know about you, but when I think about endurance, I think about endurance as one of those topics that feels more like broccoli than cake. In fact, I had someone come up to me one time and say, Pastor, I don't ask for God to develop things like endurance in me because I know how he is going to answer that prayer. You see, for many of us, we associate endurance with suffering and struggle. And that's, those are the circumstances in which we need endurance. It's when we are going through a hardship, we're going through a trial. The Bible calls for us to endure. But my hope this morning is that we will see from our study of Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 through 13 is that endurance is not just the ability to bear up under and hold up under something that is difficult and hard, but that endurance is actually the path that leads to strength and sanctification. And so if I were to give us one big idea that I want us to grab a hold of today as we listen to God's word and then we consider what it says, and then we leave here and apply it to our lives, it would be this. Where you focus will determine how you finish. Where your focus is will determine how you finish. Hopefully you found your way to Hebrews chapter 12. We're gonna read the first 13 verses. If you're able, would you join me by standing in honor of God's word as we read our text this morning. If you're ready to hear from the Lord, say ready. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. And struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are being reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead." Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this word and this call to endurance. And I just pray that in these next few moments, your word would speak clearly to our hearts and that your Holy Spirit would open up understanding of what it is you would want us to take hold of today. Father God, you've invited us into relationship and you are pleading through your word for us to remain faithful, to Christ. So God, would you develop this endurance in us and would you help us to see its value in our lives? We pray this in your son's beautiful name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Five truths about endurance I just want us to hit on this morning that we see here. And the first one comes out of very the very first verse. Verse one says, therefore, Since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. The first truth that we see here being highlighted by the author is that faithfulness requires endurance. Faithfulness requires endurance. In the first 10 chapters of Hebrews, the author has gone to great lengths to make a case for faith in Jesus Christ. He goes through to this, he's writing to a Hebrew audience. He's writing to a group of people who came out of Judaism, who had the law, they had the old covenant, they had the Old Testament scriptures. These were the truths that they had been abiding by. And now Christ has come and proclaimed that he is the Messiah. He gave his life for them on the cross. He was buried and rose again. And now he speaks of a new covenant, a new way of living in light of what Christ has provided. And so throughout the book of Hebrews, the author takes out each major tenet of the Jewish religious system and tradition and he holds it up and he says, you think this is great? Jesus is greater. You think this thing that has been so important to you is important? Christ is more important. He's superior to angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to the high priest. He offers a better covenant. He provides a better sacrifice. So all throughout the first 10 chapters, he's giving this case for why it's not only reasonable, but it is obvious that faith in Christ is greater, it's better, it's more significant. And then in chapter 11, what we saw last week is he highlights this long list of their ancestors, these heroes who had demonstrated a faith in God. And so now we're starting to sense as we read through the book of Hebrews, that kind of that moment that we feel when we're flying on a plane where we're, now we're, we're from cruising altitude, we're about to descend. And he's, he's bringing it home. And he says, therefore. Throughout the letter, he had been warning the audience, not only that there's a potential for them to drift away from what they've been taught, but he had warned them to not neglect this salvation that had been offered freely to them through Christ, he had been warning them to not turn away in unbelief. And if history is any indication, he knew that they would have a problem with faithfulness. That faithfulness would continue to be a struggle for all those who would follow Christ. And so he says here in verse one, therefore, which means in light of all that has been presented in the first 11 chapters, and in light of all those who have kept the faith and have lived their life as an example, he says, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. There are two truths that this illustration of running is trying to communicate to us. He, he uses this illustration here in the Bible to try to help us have a mental picture of what he's, what he's saying. He's saying, follower of Christ, the first truth is that your life is gonna resemble a marathon more than a sprint. That if you're gonna truly take Christ at his word and receive and accept the invitation he's given to you to follow me, that this is going to be a marathon. It's going to be a race. And this type of race won't be over quickly. It's going to require endurance. There's going to be things that are gonna get in your way that are gonna to try to hinder you from finishing the race. There's going to be sin that's gonna to try to creep up and trip you up so that you fall down and don't finish your race. And so in order to finish the race well, we must have endurance. For those of us who've been around Salem Heights for a long time, we've, we've talked about endurance before, that Greek word hupomone. Some of our Bibles translate this word as endurance, some of it translated as perseverance, some of it translated as peace. But what it's literally saying is that we must have a continuing commitment to Christ even in the face of difficulty. Faithfulness, which is what this whole book is designed to to try to make a case for, because these Jewish believers had, had placed their faith in Christ, but in order to follow Christ, they had to walk away from these important traditions and systems that had brought so much security and they thought was going to lead to so much hope. And Jesus says, no, I've, I'm offering something better. I'm asking you to let go of that and follow me. And as they began to do that, they began to realize that life was still going to be hard. And, and the fact that they were going to have to maybe walk away from relationships and, and their culture and kind of be now kind of outsiders, that was hard. And they were beginning to waver and question is it really worth it? Is the hardship and the struggle. And he's writing this book and he's saying, remain faithful to Christ. He's worthy of your faith, he's worthy of your trust. He can handle all of it. And what he has promised to those who remain faithful is much greater than what they will find outside of Christ. And so he's saying faithfulness, though, of maturing faith. Second truth we see about endurance from this text is that Christ is the inspiration of endurance. When I was growing up, I remember uh, loving sports, and so if you were to take a snapshot of my childhood bedroom, you would see I would have had sports posters on all the walls. Uh, I remember having a poster like this. And I remember putting these up there. And you know what these posters were? They were not just like people that I kind of looked up to, but they were models for me. Like I, I played basketball, I wanted to be like Mike. That was the whole slogan. I just jumped a little bit shorter than him. I used to tell people, my name is Peter, which means watch them play and I would see them and it would inspire me. It was very, if you were to talk to my parents, if, if sports were on in the home, like my dad was watching a game, I'm the kid that was running in front of his recliner trying to mimic what I saw on TV. If it was football, I was playing imaginary football. If it was basketball, I was playing imaginary basketball. If I was watching Rocky, I was becoming a prize fighter, whatever it was. Watching those athletes inspired me to, to act like them, to do what they were doing. Look what he says here in verses two and three. He says, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up what Jesus endured for you and for me. Because when he went to the cross, it wasn't because he deserved it. It wasn't because he had sins of his own that he needed to pay for, to be punished for. No, he did that for you and for me, for the sins of all man. It motivates us to die to self and to live for him. But he also modeled what endurance looked like. I love it how one preacher summarized these two verses. He wrote it like this. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever, and now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. How should we deal with those hindrances and sins that so easily entangle us, those temptations? The author here is saying, lay them aside, put them away, turn from them and focus on Christ, the inspiration of endurance. Jesus is our model and our faith is fortified, it's strengthened, it's made strong when we remember that whatever we face along the race that Christ has laid out for us, because your race is gonna look a little different than my race. The life that, that God has for you is, is different than the person next to you. But whatever hindrances you find along the way, whatever distractions that are trying to turn your affection and your focus off a of Christ to trip you up, and even though you feel like you have victory over it, it's still trying to get a, a, a hand around your ankle. What is beautifully seen here in Christ that is our model and our inspiration is that whatever we face along our race, we do not face it alone. Some of you are enduring struggles right now. And my, my encouragement to you this morning is if you are struggling, if you are, said that. He says, says that for the joy that lay before him. We know that there, in his human emotions, that the fact of going to a cross and suffering crucifixion, there was torment, there was pain, he, he was sweating drops of blood, he was in agony, he was praying, he was asking his friends to pray for him that led before him. He knew that he wasn't gonna go through by himself. And he knew that whatever the Lord, the Father had called him to, he would endure. He would reach the end of it for God's glory and ultimately our good. He is in us and with us every step of the race. And it's our, I'll figure my way out. I mean, how many times do we have to stumble and fall and get tripped up and get discouraged and weighed down and feel like this race is just passing us by. There's no chance of us ever crossing the finish line. That is what we're left to when we're left to our own strength, our own will, our own desires. Christ has come and says, you don't have the inspiration of endurance. If you're wavering, if you're struggling to hold on, to keep going, to take that next step, to continue to suffer, to, to walk through this, and you're struggling to keep your eyes up, He's saying, continue to turn them to Christ. Continue to look at the word and to see what Christ has done, that inspiration. There's the third thing about endurance though, is that discipline develops endurance. Not only is Christ an inspiration to how to overcome hindrances, we know that there are some times in our life where the struggle and the suffering that we are experiencing is the result of our own sin. But even in that, what the author is telling us here in chapter 12 is that you're not alone. You're not left to your own abilities to get out of the mess you made. Look what it says in verses four through eight. In struggling against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, don't take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. This is such good news. Some of us this morning are struggling, we're suffering. And the source of that that suffering, that struggle is, is due to shame or guilt or consequences that have come from sinful choices we have made we are continuing to let those define us and let those have a part of our identity. And we're forgetting the fact that it says in Romans 8, 1, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet what this this passage is telling us is, yeah, there's going to be consequences for sin. So he's warning us, avoid sin, lay aside sin, don't let it get you tripped up. But if it does, God is still so good because the good news is he's not gonna abandon you in your struggle. But that's the lie the enemy wants us to believe when we know that the reason we're struggling is because we've sinned. The enemy wants to go see, Knew no, you didn't have it in you and God sees it too. What a mistake. Those are lies. It says that he disciplines us as his children, which means we're not alone. He doesn't abandon us. But what I love about this word is this word discipline. Oftentimes we kind of, we equate discipline with punishment. Like he's punishing us. But the word in the Greek actually has an idea of of instruction or training that is used to help a person go in the way that is right. So even when we've caused the problem, even when we have struggled, it's his discipline that he says, let me use that. I can actually take that, and if you will turn to me and you will, I can actually use this to actually develop endurance in you, to make you stronger, to, to shape you and refine you. See, endurance is strength that develops slowly under struggle, but the benefit from discipline is for those who endure. Uh, Earlier this year, I I received a gift. It was a, a knife and it was a Damascus steel blade. This is not the knife, but this is a version of it. One of the things about Damascus steel that is so unique is it has these wavy blotchiness on the blade. And what happens is, is that the process in which these blades are made is they take metals and they just either use this forging method where they just put them under intense heat and then they remove them in the cool and then they put them back in the intense heat and ruin the cool. And then they begin to twist them and manipulate them and fold them. And then through that process, they become extremely hard, extremely sharp, but also they have this beautiful design on the blade. That process of being heated and twisted and manipulated is, a, is intense. So many times when we're experiencing suffering or hardship in our life, we look for the easiest way to get out of it. How do I get out of this suffering? How do I get over this? How do we work through it? We can often look to escape suffering, but There's no fear in that for the believer. There's actually hope that comes from that because I'm not alone, he doesn't abandon me, and he's, gonna, he's going to see that, and he's going to correct me through his word, he's going to convict me through his Holy Spirit, and he can actually redeem me from those sins, and he can actually give me victory. That's here on earth, if we will endure. But if we won't endure, if we won't allow him to continue to take us through that process, we pull ourselves out of the fire too quickly, we actually don't become what he could make us. So discipline develops endurance. Fourth truth about endurance we see here in this passage is that hope fuels endurance. Hope is the fuel that helps us endure. Verse nine says, Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live for they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It is so easy in the midst of suffering and struggle for us to lose our perspective to get disoriented. Everything seems to be more intense and more hopeless in the middle of the struggle. Would you agree? It's like, I, I don't know, I, I just feels like this is so much. I mean, if you it's so important, righteousness in us. I love how one author described, what does this mean? What is the peaceful fruit of righteousness? It says, you begin to experience heaven's peace in an unpeaceful world. You begin to experience the peace that's talked about in heaven where, where there is no sin and there is no brokenness and there is no suffering and there is no pain. You begin to experience that in a little way on this side of glory. That you and I could begin to live at peace in a world that's broken. This is the promise. This is the hope. See, when the Bible talks about hope, it's not talking about, I hope, man, I hope this is all going to work out. No, hope is this confident expectation rooted in what Christ has done. I have hope. I'm, com- I'm expecting this. I'm looking forward to this. Why? Because Christ is who he says he is and he did what he says he did. And he is trustworthy. And so when we have hope and we fix our eyes on Christ and we... We have this hope that what we're going through is going to be used by the Lord for good. It fuels endurance. I can continue to stay in this process. I can suffer a little longer because it's temporary and God's going to use it. But there's one more thing that we see in this passage on endurance. And that is this preparation promotes endurance. It says in verses 12 and 13, therefore strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. The author's advice here, get ready, clear the path. If you knew that you were gonna go out and have to run a race tomorrow, Hopefully you would start doing some things to prepare. Even if you haven't been training for it, you're probably gonna, know, you're gonna wear a certain type of clothing. You're gonna make sure that you eat a good meal. You're gonna try to get a good night's rest. You're gonna make sure that your shoes are tied securely. You're gonna do everything you can to just give your best effort. The author here is saying hike the South Sister, pretty tall mountain here in Oregon. It was a beautiful hike with amazing views several miles up and several miles back down and after several miles of walking uphill as the air gets thinner every step of the way the trail leads up this steep embankment to what appears to be the end of the hike it's what all you can see you think it's the top and you get there to realize it's not it's a false summit <laughs> not only does it reveal that you haven't made it to the top What you see is a mile, it's extremely steep. It's the most difficult point of the entire hike and it's at that moment when endurance is your friend. Thankfully, I had done some training and I eventually reached the summit. Some that I climbed with though that day didn't. Determined on what I'd already done in preparation for that moment. The call to endure is a call for today, not for tomorrow. Prepare for it. The author is saying here, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees. He knows it's already been a tough struggle, but it's almost like if if you're lifting something heavier, if you're doing, take a break, okay? Stretch it out, shake it out, get ready, and let's get engaged. Make sure it's clear and make sure that we are walking in a straight way so that we are intentional. And so the author here is saying, we're, we're getting to the end of this letter and I've made it the best case I can, pointing you back to Jesus and saying, Jesus is worthy of your faith and I'm imploring you to follow the model of your ancestors and to be faithful, to remain true to Christ. Across the line, you're gonna need endurance. And so he's saying, look to Christ. Allow the Lord to develop it in you. Focus on the promise of those who allow him to do his work. Prepare for it. Verse two, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the perfecter, pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Where you focus will determine how you finish. There's a story about a race that was promoted as the mile of the century. England's Roger Bannister and Australian John Landy would meet for the first time to compete in the one mile run during the British Empire Commonwealth Games in Vancouver, BC, August 7, 1954. Both men had broken the four minute barrier previously that year. Bannister was the first to break As 35,000 enthusiastic fans looked on, no one knew what would take place on that historic day. This race promoted as the mile of the century would later be known as the miracle mile. The race began and Landy sprinted out to the lead. And over the first three laps, the lead increased. But what Bannister was known for was his closing speed. And as they entered into the fourth lap, Bannister began to make his move. With only 90 yards to go in one of the world's most memorable races, John Landy, who led for the, virtually the entire race, glanced over his left shoulder to check Bannister's position. And at that instant, Bannister streak shift our focus away from Christ. We never finish well. Five things. The ability of enduring the race that the Lord has laid before us, knowing that he is in it with us and will be there with us across the finish line. Amen? Amen. That potential to experience that exhilarating finish in and with God is still there. In us. And that same power, it says in scripture, perfects us in our weakest state. His power is perfected in our weakness. Do you believe that? Your endurance is not about the strength that you must draw on your own. Your endurance is contingent. And so fix your eyes on Christ and finish well. That's what he's saying to the audience of this letter and he's saying it to us today. Fix your eyes on Jesus and finish well. Where you focus will determine how you finish. Will you pray with me? Father God, we we thank you for the opportunity to open your word this morning and to let it speak to our hearts. God, this is something we need for today, endurance. The world is broken. Sin abounds. Hardship abounds. And it seems every day like it gets harder and harder to stay faithful. And yet what your word teaches us is that choice for us to abide, but then we have to allow you to develop the endurance inside of us. God, we ask that you would keep us faithful, that you would keep us fixed, our eyes fixed on Christ, that we would stay in your plan. We would allow you to develop endurance, both through sacrifice, but the the promise of Christ, that those who endure will experience the promise. God, keep us faithful to your word. Let us run the race with endurance. Help us to finish well. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.